Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 18. And the last time, the title of the message was Relational Conversations with God. And basically what I tried to do with this is, you know, Jesus talks about prayer. He talks about relationship with God. He showed us the way. He taught us. But again, relational conversation. So this is something where you can actually get to know God on a personal level. Now, you might have grown up in religion like I did, and I was in my 20s, and I was still lost. I did not realize that I could actually have a personal relationship with my Creator, and my life changed in my mid to late 20s. So uh, if you didn't get it, it was a two-part sermon, two sermons, and last Sunday was the second part, and actually somebody came forward to receive Jesus after the sermon, because they they desired that personal relationship with their Creator. And today, the message is titled, Is It Worth Eternity? Now, the word it, I capitalized, very importantly, because you can pretty much, that could be a symbol for anything that you can put, you can remove that word, there's a blank, you can put anything in there. What is it in our lives that, or some people, that keep them from God? Now, We're going to talk about the rich young ruler, an actual exchange that Jesus has with a very accomplished young man, uh, and where the conversation goes. But the most important thing was he had some things that were keeping him from a relationship with the Lord. Now, if we miss this point, we've missed the entire meaning of what Jesus was trying to say. We all know that person, and I'm not cutting anybody down. I love accomplished people. That, this person who's accomplished, they have all the degrees, they're making lots of money, they're rising in their field, and they always say, well, one of these days I'm going to get to know God, and they never do, and they die, right? Life doesn't come with guarantees. I do funerals all the time, and some for young people. So it's very important before you leave this earth to know who your Creator is and to have a relationship with your Creator. So we're going to do a sort of a character profile on this man that Jesus is speaking to, but we're also certainly going to make the application for for our lives as well, especially if we don't know the Lord. And we're going to look at this in five parts. So jumping in, I'll give you the exchange first, and then we'll break it down. Now, a certain ruler, this isn't a parable, this is an actual discussion. So there was a certain ruler, a particular ruler, asked him, Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your mother and father. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became sorrowful, he said, 
How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So one out of five is, if this was a college course, it would be intro to the rich young ruler. So we look at this. What do we know about him? Well, he's rich, says it. Also, he's a ruler, which means that he had authority, power, status in that society. Was it religious? Was it political? Some people assume he was a synagogue ruler, but the scripture doesn't say that. C, he was young. I left that for last because it could make the former too unwieldy. Youth, right? Coupled with power and riches can be dangerous. We can, we can be our own danger, our own detriment when it comes to spiritual things. So when we take these together, he could have had some pride, right? He could have had a pride issue. And when we, you know, I'm, I'm going to get more into this later, but he's a little bit hard to figure out. Because he seems very humble when he comes to Jesus, and we're going to look at the details. But he, we're told in the other scripture that he walks away from him. He doesn't like the content of the discussion. So is he starting out just being a flatterer? Does he have an angle? Is he disingenuous? Is he confused? Is he idealistic? Did he grow up in a sheltered environment so he doesn't really understand these things? Because everybody pretty much did what he wanted based on his, those three characteristics. And then Jesus is not really giving him what he wants, what he's looking for. So we're going to check that out. But I guarantee that there were many people when this guy came with his entourage, with his bodyguards, right, with his fine clothing, no doubt that many people wished that they were him. And we see that today. And this could be, it could be Hollywood. It could be some politician who's a rock star. We hear this all the time. And people say, gee, I wish... I could be like them. Do you really? Where is the rich young ruler for the last 2,000 years? We don't know. Did he get saved? It's entirely possible. I'm not going to speculate where the Bible is silent. But what if he's not? All those riches he enjoyed for maybe 60 years, 70, that was a lot, life expectancy in those days. If an accident didn't befall you, we realize, listen, being a police officer 25 years and a pastor... You know, life is short. Here one day, you're gone tomorrow. I would go to scenes, and again, young people, tragic, tragedies, driving in their car. Some crazy thing happens, some freak accident, and they're gone. And now they step into eternity. Listen, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm actually trying to be loving because, because it's love to tell people, hey, eternity is coming you better consider these things while you're alive and your heart is beating. Because when you die, it's too late. By the end of the encounter, the man maybe came in with a swag, right? But he lost his confidence, his stride, because his spiritual foundation was faulty. It's faulty. Verse 18. He says to Jesus, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Two, how do I get to heaven? Well, that should be a question that everybody on the planet asks today. It's the question, right? It, it's, the, it's the big question, and a lot of people will give you different answers to that question. But was it sincere? 
Was it sincere? He did walk away at the end. Was he basically saying, I want it all. I have everything in the physical realm. Now I want everything in the spiritual realm. If you're considering getting to heaven to get close to God or to consider God and get close to Him now because you want a relationship with Him, that's a great thing. But if it's just another pursuit, those are the wrong reasons. There was no follow-through on His effort, on His part. This is very important. What shall I do to inherit? In other words, how can I make this happen? How can I obtain this? He's used to getting His way in the temporal realm, right? I think what he's, again, I'm not to read too much into this person, but my efforts, my self-righteousness, we talked about this last Sunday. The truth is we don't have self-righteousness. We can't make our way into heaven. It is God who justifies. We covered the theology of this last Sunday. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. That's God's desire. If there was any other way for us to get to heaven, why would God send His Son from His rightful perch in the heavenlies who never sinned, God doesn't sin, and send Him to be crucified and beat and treated so horrifically on this earth if there was another way? But there isn't. That's why God gave His Son, right? This world, we look at it, you can try to make your way all you want in this world, but if you're honest with yourself and you look at all the empirical indicators, this world is declining. It's not increasing. Uh, unfortunately, it's ingrained in the heart of many to earn their way to heaven. And unfortunately, there are many religions that reinforce this false notion. Verse 19, Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. This is probably the most misunderstood, one of the most misunderstood verses in Scripture. And listen, I debate, I love debate, I try to convince people to come to Christ. I got no angle, I just want them to get close to God. But I was actually watching, it was very interesting, a, a Muslim apologist reading this to a group of Christians and saying, see, Jesus never claimed to be God. First of all, that's poor exegesis. That is not a very good way to pull the meaning out of the scripture if you actually look at the entire bible what jesus was saying to him is why do you call me good only god is good think about what you're saying he's saying to the guy what do you see what do you want when you come to me and we have to ask the same questions why are you here in this church well you teach the bible okay why do you like that well because it's the words of jesus they're actually in some other churches are you know, talking about politics and all this stuff. I get that. Why do you seek Jesus? And that's the question everyone has to ask themselves. Is it, listen, the crowds did this a lot. I mean, Jesus drew, drew these incredible crowds. Thousands of people. Some came for a free meal. Some came to get healed. Some came for a lot of different reasons except for getting closer to God. So Jesus is saying to him, be careful. You call me good. It, do you really believe that? I, I say that Jesus was the greatest psychologist who ever lived. Because he would always ask questions to draw things out of the person. You ever say something, you don't even realize why you say it? And someone asks you why you say that, and you're like, well, I, yeah, I actually, yeah, I'm not really sure why I said that. It came out. 
but you you know then you have to deal with the thought processes prior to the words coming out of your mouth so he's asking him this question he's speaking flattery even today people speak very flattering of jesus but is he truly god the son right do you believe that about him um so, so these are the things about Jesus. I mean, you can't say Jesus was a great man if he claimed to be God and you don't believe that he was God. Listen, when I was on patrol, I can't tell you how many times I met somebody who thought they were God. And I usually call for backup because I don't know what's going to happen next, you know. Uh, I had a guy who was driving down the road and he was in oncoming traffic and I did a double take and I went after him and I pulled him over finally and he just looked at me with these wild eyes and he threw his hands up and he said, the son of man obeys no traffic laws. <laughs> Headquarters, can you send me another unit? You know, so, you know, people have this idea of delusions of grandeur. So if Jesus came to the earth and he claims to be God and he really wasn't God, that's a problem. We have a problem with Jesus. We can't call him a good man, Right. He's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And there was a book written with that title. If he's not Lord, he's either a liar or a lunatic, and you don't follow him. So Jesus forces us into a funnel of what we believe about him. And that really determines where we spend eternity. Um, Continuing on, verse 20 through 21 is interesting because he uses this technique. He says to him, it seems like Jesus kind of shifts from one sort of technique to another, but he's really trying to get, peeling the layers of the onion, so to speak, getting at the man's heart, you know, because he loves him, right? And I'm going to come to that point. So we continue on. Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and your father. And he said, well, these I have kept from my youth. So he's basically trying, and we, he does this, and you know, people do this. They go, oh yeah, I read the Sermon on the Mount, or I heard a pastor preach about it, and uh, I'm just so in love with the Sermon on the Mount. If you really understood what the Sermon on the Mount is, you would say, ooh, wow. Because Jesus said, well, you could say you haven't killed anybody, but if in your heart it's that one person, that coworker, that you know, family member, and you just, they keep you up at night, you want to hurt them. Jesus says you sinned in your heart. You don't have to physically do it with your hands and feet. So what he's trying to show us is that when we look at the law, the law is a mirror. And the mirror shows us that we're imperfect. We all, including me, I got up in the morning, I rolled out of bed, and I went into the bathroom, and I looked in the mirror, and my hair was all over the place. I had to brush my teeth, I had to shave, you know, I tried to clean up a little bit before coming here in the morning. So the law is sort of a spiritual mirror. We look at it, and we realize, hey, I'm not perfect. And that's the whole point of the law. The law doesn't save us. We can't keep the law 100%. The Ten Commandments are only ten out of hundreds of them that we we find the Mosaic Law and what God gave to Moses and the early patriarchs. So he's acting like, yeah, I I did it. I'm cool. It's a delusional response. It's a self-righteous response. Today, people say, you can say, are you going to heaven? Well, yeah, I didn't kill anyone. Well, that's good. Keep the cops off your back. Um, But is that the standard? Where does it say in the Old or the New Testament? So if you didn't kill anyone, you get to automatically go to heaven. It doesn't work like that. But people do that. They set up these standards 
that wouldn't fly in our jurisprudence system, which is flawed, by the way. Right? So, you know, here's the thing. While this man was having a discussion with Jesus, that while they were speaking, that the temple was still continuing with sacrifices for unintentional sin. So this man is basically almost saying, and I don't want to speak for him, I don't even have to go to the temple and give my, uh, my sacrifice because I've kept all these since I was young. I'm good. Jesus, I'm good. Okay, that's, that's delusional. Who can say? Can, can I say that I've always kept the law? No, I can't. Even as a Christian, even as a pastor. Have, has a thought crossed my mind where I got mad at somebody and you know, maybe I took a little too much time with that thought? Well, I sinned. That's why i got to come to Christ, right? So he, he goes to the heart of the matter here. He's got to, he kind of switches gears to idolatry and covetousness, and we're going to see that. So verse 22, So when Jesus heard these things, He said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow Me. So three out of five is, well, that struck a nerve. So you haven't killed anyone, you haven't stolen, um, you haven't borne false witness. He did say, honor your mother and father. I, I, I'm sorry, I got hung up on this one. I, I just, I have to, <laughs> honor your mother and father. Well, I've kept these from, from a youth. Well, what do your parents think about that? Are you saying that you've never talked back to your parents? You've never disrespected them? They've never punished you and in your heart you got angry with them? You know, hey, mom and dad, come in here. Was he a perfect child? Because he's pretty much saying that in addition to all the other things. So again, he's got this idea that's idealistic, but it's not, it's not valid. Um, and, you know, people today do the same thing. They say, I'm, and again, they, people will say, they'll read this and they'll say, well, some might, some might say to me, I'm not young, I'm not rich, and I don't have any authority, so I'm good. If you say that, you're missing the point of what's happening here. He's on, this is only one person of the thousands of people that Jesus encountered in his ministry, which I just love it. But here, you know, you can say that there could be something hindering you getting closer to the Lord. It could be an accomplishment. It could be a peer group. It could be such a tight biological family that, oh, my parents... My family would never, they disowned me if I said I, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ because this is always the religion we followed. Are you going to let that keep you from eternity? Now, don't misunderstand this, right? In, in our culture today, there's like a, a, a wave of Marxism that's coming into everything. This story is not about eating the rich or that rich people are bad. Um, it's not about taking a vow of poverty. What Jesus knew about him is that there was an issue in his heart and it was his love of his money and his creature comforts. And he put his finger on it. And that's what Jesus does. He does that in our lives. I started to, as a brand new believer, I started coming and reading the Bible and I would read things about the Scripture. And what convicted me or nudged me versus what convicts everybody else, we're all going to be different. We're all unique. But Jesus puts his finger on the problem. And like a, I had a friend who had, uh, he had actually surface MRSA, right? Uh, methicillin resistant Staphylococcus aureus. I think that's right. You can tell me if that's right afterwards. Uh, so basically, this nasty infection, it was in his skin, and uh, he had to go and have it, um, you know, had it excised. And he still has the scars on his neck and parts of his body. And they went in there, and they had to get that infection out. And they would, they put him through torture. 
they would have to, you know, um, you know, cut, cut the skin open and they would squeeze and squeeze and, and boy, that was painful. And he, it was like, he's like, well, that's one of the worst things I've ever experienced. All right, not to gross everybody out this morning, but what Jesus does spiritually is he does the same thing. He sees the things in our lives that are an infection and that are harming us. And he puts his finger on it. For somebody, it might be money. For others, it might be ego, pride. For others, it might be just a garden variety of sins that we have as human beings. Everybody's different, right? For some, it could be you ever meet people in a church and you never want to go back to the church because they're haughty and arrogant and they look down on everybody. They're better than everybody else, legalistic. That's also a problem. Jesus expresses that in the scripture. It's just not right here. Mark 10.21, Mark, Mark and Matthew give a little bit more nuance. Okay, They tell the same account, but Mark looks at something and he goes, wow, that thing really stood, stood out to me. So he, he adds it in addition to the rest of what goes on here, and so does Matthew. And it's interesting, from all the different gospel writers' backgrounds, something stood out to them even more. So there's no contradictions, it's just they bring a, a little bit more flavor than maybe the main... Uh, person who's recounting it. So I'm going to get to that in Mark and Matthew. Mark 10, 21, it says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him when he said these things. Jesus, this hot conversation, this was the hardest thing that Jesus had to say to this man. But it says, Mark tells us that he looked at him and he loved him. There was something about the way Jesus handled this man. He wasn't nasty with him. He wasn't rude. He didn't want him to walk away. He loved him. And he needed to tell him that this thing is going to destroy you spiritually. And this is why you have to do these things. And it's love to try to steer someone from making an eternal mistake. And, you know, sometimes we, we get a bad rap in the church of, oh, you know, you Christians, you know, you always, you always got to be the, the wet blanket and the party pooper. And, you know, but, is it, but how do we say it when we deal with somebody that we know and we love them and something is, is hurting them? and their other peers are worldly, and they don't have the courage to say the thing that needs to be said, we also need to do the same thing. We need to look at her or look at him and love them and tell them. So maybe even if, you know, it's almost like when you take your medicine, how you, my, actually my dog is going through a sickness right now, and she will not take the pills, and I have to hide it in our special foods. It helps the medicine go down to make her better. So... This is sort of the, we need to love people, but we need to say things that are the hard truth. I'll tell you another quick story is, in my career, uh, I can't tell you how many times I did CPR. And as we get older, you know, our rib cage becomes more, uh, it's not as flexible, the cartilage and and all that stuff. And I remember there would be times where I'd I'd have to compress the sternum to get the heart to pump. Um, but I sometimes could feel a crunching as I was doing it. Every, every first responder will tell you the same thing, especially on older people. And they end up going to the hospital. I didn't, couldn't save everybody. Only God can do that. But the ones that lived would sometimes wake up in the trauma unit, and they were in pain. I hurt them. I didn't mean to hurt them. I meant to save their lives. But if you look at this spiritually, right, Jesus, it, sometimes it, it causes a little bit of pain emotionally or, or hurt, um, but it's temporary. When you start to grow in your faith, you realize, you know what, that was done for the right reasons. 
that person was well. Believe me, I had a mentor that was tough. And he, he uh, I look back and even some of the things he said I didn't like. You know what? I realized the whole package, he was trying to help me to grow in my faith. So I look back and in my maturity, in my maturity now, I look back and I realize, oh, I, he did love me. <laughs> it just didn't come out that way. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And if I, I, I apologize, yeah, we, we're, okay. So we're good. I love you, James. <laughs> this, is what, this is what you get when you sit in the front. You're next and then you, no. Uh, so continuing on, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's a lot of fun. But I will tell you that there are ministries out there. Be careful of a ministry because people do this today. They surf YouTube and they look for different teachings. And there's always going to be a ministry or a church that's out there that's going to tell you everything you want to hear. They're going to want to fill the church up. They're going to fill their coffers with money and donations. And I got to tell you, it's broken my heart, but I've, I've preached and it doesn't happen often, but somebody comes in, they're new to the church and they hear a hard truth. And I, you can tell, I try to say it with love, right? And they get up and they march out and they never come back. And intuitively, I know why they're leaving. And it, it saddens me, but I can't stop preaching the truth. Again, I'm going to do it as, like, as much as I can like Jesus because he's perfect and I'm not. So I want to be very much like him and do it in a way that's loving. But um, sometimes it's a hard truth. So we continue on. You know, it's verse 23. He became sorrowful because he was very rich. Now you have to wonder, as we, as we look at this man, what did he want from Jesus? I'm not a mind reader. Uh, you know, I could do a little bit of a character profile, forensic psychology, but it's 2,000 years later. So I just don't, I don't have the answers. But was he looking for a blessing from Jesus? Was he looking for affirmation? Is it possible that he thought that because of his influence and money and just always getting what he wanted from, maybe he came from a lifestyle of privilege. It sounds like it. Maybe he thought, well, you know, Jesus is an up-and-coming, well-respected teacher. Um, maybe I can come to him and maybe donate to his cause and, you know, he can give me a blessing. And boy, I have everything. I've got the temporal world. Now I've got the spiritual realm. And, and Jesus threw him a curveball. You know, I look at this sometimes with, even today, with, with uh, politicians. And it, they go to various churches. So a politician maybe will go overseas or they'll go to another state maybe that they haven't been, they'll go to a city and they'll scope out, and they, they do this, right? You see this in the news, politicians. And they, uh, they're going to go to this one church and they call ahead and they say, hey, um, so-and-so, the president or the congressperson or whatever is coming to your church, you know, and, and you see this in the news, are you going to give them communion? And they sort of negotiate, right? The staff negotiates with the church and, and they try to find a church where they could do a photo op and can I say something? If that's you and you want to come here, leave the cameras at home. If you're a politician or somebody important, we love you. We want you to be saved, but this isn't a circus. And that's what you see. Right? People look at religion and say, oh, it's corrupt. A lot of religion is corrupt because they do this nonsense. So I can almost see the rich young ruler. Hey, I got status. I got money. And again, I'm guessing here. Um, hopefully he gives me a blessing. He says me something, gives me something to do. And then I can go on my way and be happy because I got the best of both worlds. What Jesus did love him, he did want him to get saved, but there was something that he had to do that was poisoning him. 
And sadly, many people are going to die and they're going to stand before God and they're going to think that they're going to be good orators, be good debaters, have a discussion with God and convince God to let them in because that's the way they did things on the earth. They were very good at their craft on the earth. So I'm just going to die and I'm going to say, listen, God, I didn't kill anybody and I'm generally a nice person and I gave to charity, so let me into heaven. It doesn't work like that. Our sins separate us from God, Romans 5 tells us. Jesus came to pay for those sins so that we can have free passage to eternity. We see God, there's no frowns, He's not angry, He welcomes us, He loves us. We get to see all the beautiful things that He has prepared for us, but we have to have our sins forgiven. It's just the way it is. Verse 24, when Jesus saw that He became sorrowful, He said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? So, we look at this, for is eternity must be considered. We have a, a, a live stream, it's ever since COVID, we have a live stream audience that's far greater than the people who actually uh, are here physically. Um, so I just want to say this, if you're watching this or you're here today and you are that accomplished person, um, you, whoever you, you looked at or you know, asked to watch it, they didn't, you didn't get set up. I don't make sermons for people. But if something is striking a nerve here, you have to really consider that God, you are here for the perfect time because God wants to save you. And He knows how difficult it is for wealthy, powerful people to get into the kingdom of, of God because they allow their creature comforts, they allow their status, they allow their entourage, they allow... Listen, we go through inflation and supply chain issues. The elites, they don't suffer any of this stuff. They are so insulated. And Jesus is not saying, I don't like rich people. He's saying that if you're that uber-insulated, that the likelihood of you thinking you need something else, even spiritually, is very low on your priority list. I love this portion of Scripture. And I love it because it isn't that Jesus... Jesus loved everyone. And He tried different ways to get everyone into the kingdom of heaven. So... I'll just say this again. Is it possible that this man got saved later on? Is it possible that he went back home and it kept him up at night and he at some point went to his accountant and his, the people running his, uh, whatever, his place and his, you know, his empire and he said to them, don't ask me a lot of questions. Just sell it all. Give it to the poor. You guys take care of yourself. I'm going to go walk with Jesus. And you know what? When you do something like that, people think you're crazy. Absolutely. People think you are absolutely nuts. Right? And again, it isn't you know, a vow of poverty, a vow of chastity. That's a religious thing. It's just an honest-to-goodness relationship with God. And I just don't want the, these things to be in my way. You know, I, I considered you know, in, in my former career, well... I, you know, I had people high, a lot higher than me say, you, you, should, you should be a sergeant. You should be a lieutenant. You know, you're, you're good at what you do. You care about people. And boy, I wrestled with that, right? And I never took the steps that I needed to take to go higher because 
I also had a church to run, and I said to myself, you know, I can see it looks like it's good, but I could also see how it could be detrimental to the ministry, and I'm glad I never took the promotion. It, it is what it is. And for some people, they do well. They're CEOs, and they run things, and they're generous, and, and they're, they're solid believers, solid Christians. There's wealthy people who are, they don't let money poison them, and they, they give it away as fast as they get it, because they love the Lord and they want to see His ministry increase. Well, then, it, then Jesus wouldn't say this to you, right? Every person, it's different. It could be technology, right? It could be somebody who's so addicted to technology. Oh, yeah, I'll read the Bible one of these days. You know, they're so... Listen, we could be addicted to anything in this world. It's the way the brain and the dopamine and the, you know, the neural digging and you know, the new pathways are made in the brain. And it's a hard thing. It's a habit. It's hard to break. But if you want to find an addiction or you want to have it, get close to God and be, be on, you know, just get closer to Him. Get to know Him. So, again, it is possible that He repented later on. We just don't know. The point of the story wasn't the end of, the, of His life. It, the point of the story was for us to understand how does this affect me? Let's not get so caught up in this guy that we forget that God's trying to reach us through this message. But Jesus loved him. If you're considering coming to Christ, what has been holding you back? And like the title implies, is it really worth it? Fill in the blanks. What's the it? Okay. Continuing on, verse 26, And those who heard it said, Who then can be saved? But Jesus said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So who then can be saved? It's a great question. It wasn't asked by the rich young ruler. As, as a matter of fact, I'm going to give you the subtleties of Mark and uh, Matthew 19. Mark 10 and Matthew 19. It does appear that the rich young ruler departed by this time. And this is what Jesus would do. He would have these exchanges. And then he would redirect his um, questions, hypotheses, uh, you know, to back to the crowd and say, you know, what do you think? Sometimes they would just come out with a, an outburst or a, wow, who then could be saved? Jesus heard it. And he, he t- Jesus would take everything and turn it into a spiritual truth. That's just what he did. Because his desire was to get as many people into heaven as possible. But again, we have free will. It's our, it's, our, it's our choice what we do. And again, we look at the Scripture and we see that there were notable wealthy people in the Scripture. Abraham had a lot of wealth and it didn't affect him negatively. Zacchaeus uh, came to Jesus and he was, he had, unfortunately he made a lot of his fortune by ripping people off and he voluntarily said, you know what, I, there's some people I need to talk to and I need to give back and I'm going to give them extra because I took too much from them. Wow, that's called repentance. It's like a total change of lifestyle. Um, So let me just ask this question. Do you possess your pursuits and possessions or do your pursuits and possessions possess you? So let me ask that again. Do you possess your pursuits and your possessions or do your pursuits and your possessions possess you? Right? It's, a, it's an honest question that we have to ask ourselves. You know, what is, what is it in my life that's controlling me? And, and people say, I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman, nothing controls me. Really? What if it's keeping you from having a relationship with your Creator? 
then it's possessing you and you don't realize it, which is even worse. They can keep us so satisfied here that we don't consider the next life. Who then can be saved? Let me just say this, is that, you know, today, and again, this is one of these movements, right? One of these movements that I talked about that are going to tell you everything that you want to hear. If you want that mansion, you should have it. Just keep telling God that you want it. Uh, If you want that new car, you just keep praying and pestering Him as if God is a genie in the bottle. Prosperity movement. That happened back then. So there was a... Listen, I studied the culture. I studied the the rabbinical teachings. My goodness, there's so much that has changed in 2,000 years, but so much that hasn't changed. So there was an idea among the people that if you were... If you made it up the ladder of success and you did well financially, that it was automatically a blessing from God, which is a false teaching back then, and it's a false teaching today. Sometimes wealth and materialism can keep us from God. So they said, who then can be saved? Wait a minute, that that dude came up to you and and he went away dejected, and you're saying that, that... referring to him that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man or woman to get into heaven. So they were, they were perplexed by that. However, as humans, we mess everything up, unfortunately. But with God, all things are possible, especially salvation. He's the progenitor. He's the giver. He's the one who gives that mercy. Anybody can be saved. I love that. In Mark ten seventeen, and this is where I'm going to, just before we get to our last point, in Mark ten seventeen, more subtleties. It tells us that when the rich young ruler came up to Jesus, that he actually ran up to him and he knelt before him. Hmm, a guy of such stature? And in Matthew 19, it tells us, we don't see it in Luke's Gospel because what's more important is the, the message that Jesus uh, conveys. In Matthew 19, it says that the rich young ruler departed, so he left sorrowful like many who claim that they're interested in Jesus, they had an idea of who Jesus was. And Americans, this is the problem in American culture. There's so many false teachings out there. There's so many weird ministries that um, it's sometimes hard to understand who is God based on going flipping back and forth on YouTube. I get that. So he, he, he comes very idealistic and he leaves dejected. But let me ask you a question. Why do you want Jesus? Are you honest with yourself? Am I honest with myself about what I want from the living God? Because I hope that nobody walks away from this message dejected. I hope that if you're on the fence, that you say, you know what? I'm interested in Christ. You know, I, I do want to see what he has to say. I do want to see what he has for my life. You know, pastor, I want to do, do that. Hold me to account. I want to know what it's like, the experience to have a relationship with the creator. Can you help me with that? Anybody who's a new believer or received Christ recently, you, you, have, you have questions for me. I have time for you because I had a lot of questions when I first came to Christ. I was in a religion, but I wasn't saved. I know that now. I didn't know that back then. Hindsight spiritually is twenty twenty. So, and that's it. Verse 28 through 30. Then Peter said, 
<laughs> Peter always has something to say. I love Peter. I would have been Peter. <laughs> the other disciples would have been like, Joe, shut up. You know, <laughs> Let him finish. So Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So five is God rewards faithfulness. Now, we have talked about hyperbole. We have talked about um, different ways that Jesus expressed things that people were like, whoa, would he just say that? So he's not telling us to leave our marriage or leave our kids. He's not telling us to do that. What he's saying is in, in those days, especially when the Romans came down heavy on Christianity, uh, if you accepted Christ, everybody would leave you because they didn't want to go down with the Roman persecution and be thrown into the arenas. So Jesus is saying, whatever it is, whatever you lose, God will reward you abundantly. So it, it's painful here, but you know, remember he's speaking to 2,000 years of, of persecution of Christianity depending on where those Christians fell. So it is hyperbole, it is shocking, but hey, it certainly gets your attention. And again, don't make the mistake of thinking we will become kings and harsh rulers in the afterlife. We will become vacuous, vacuously spoiled uh, spiritual children. That's not what he's saying. In, an, in another portion of Scripture, remember the disciples, oh, can we sit on your right hand and your left? And you know, they, were, they were angling for greatness, like to be Jesus' lieutenants. And he, I could picture Jesus kind of being like, you don't understand the kingdom of heaven. You know, if you really want to be great, be a servant. Love people. You know, those who aspire to greatness and they're always stepping on somebody to go up the ladder, it doesn't, doesn't work that way in heaven. God's not impressed by our abilities. If anything, he's given us our abilities. So, powerful stuff. I'll, I'll leave you with this as well. The streets of gold. Anybody ever hear that? I covered this in Revelation. Oh, the streets of gold, the streets of gold. Why is gold so expensive now? They use it in electronics and uh, aeronautics and you know, in, in little pieces. They use it in our iPhones. But why is it so expensive? Because it's rare. And unfortunately, a lot of governments hoard, hoard it um, you know, for various reasons, power, etc. Uh, it's sometimes, we used to be on the gold standard. We're not anymore. We, now we just print money like it's water. That's another discussion. But from my economics background... Streets of gold. Is anybody in God's kingdom going to take a, a knife out and go, I've got I to get a piece of this and put it in my pocket? It's everywhere. Right? It's, it's so we're here, it's, it, it's worth, what is it up to? 20, uh, I can't afford it, $2,500 or maybe 1900 an ounce, I think. It just keeps going up and down. But, all right, I'm getting way off on, on the topic here. But the point is that if the streets paved with gold and there's gold everywhere, it isn't like here. People aren't going to be fighting for a piece of gold. It's gold. It's not worth anything. It's beautiful. Gold is gorgeous. Hammered gold, flattened gold. Um, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And you're going to see its beauty. But the things that we fight for here and we clamor for are not going to be the same in the kingdom. There's going to be peace. There's not going to be hegemony. There's not going to be hierarchy. There's not going to be a caste system. Um, so, but what God is saying is if you... If you serve him, if you're faithful, you'll be rewarded. So in closing, the sermon title today is, Is It Worth Eternity? Again, you fill in the it. 
And we mentioned a few things. There's also, it could be money, it could be a relationship that's bringing you down spiritually. It could be, you want to be the captain of the ship. You know, some people don't want to submit to God because they don't want Him calling any of the shots. I, I, I was like that, I'm a self-made person. I got to this point, I don't want to submit to anybody. It's, you just, it's one of those things that you can't enjoy the beauty of it until you're actually in it. Um, it could be pride. It, so let me answer the question for you. Is it worth eternity? And my answer to you is nothing is worth keeping you from eternity. I've lived on both sides, and I can tell you looking back, this is an incredible blessing. And I've got to tell you, <laughs> should I say this? <laughs> is that my life became more challenging when I became a believer. When I became a Christian, when I became a pastor, oh my goodness, more challenges. And I used to handle it back in the day with alcohol, right? That was my go-to, self-medication. Now I could care less. I don't bother with that stuff. I don't need it. I just call on the Lord and, you know, sometimes I have to go through things for a while, but He's there. I know He's there. I can see Him working in the ministry, right? And the kids downstairs and, you know, just the online audience and stuff. People getting saved. God is great. There's nothing to fear by giving yourself to the living God. Like the rich young ruler... Today, there's plenty of religious people, wealthy people, even moral people and comfortable people who are very content with their life and will do nothing to upset the apple cart. Don't let that be you. He wants the best for you. And that has to start with giving yourself to Him, trusting Him. It's not like this world where you, you trust somebody and they let you down and you have your guard up. and It's not that way. He's God. He created you. He loves you so much that He gave you free will to make the decision to come to Him or not. So you come to Him. If it's a question, come to His side. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.